We're going to move on to our one-minute blessing. Every service, we take a little bit of time and we pray for a particular situation, ministry, people group, whatever the case may be. And uh, today, if you've been watching the news, uh, Pastor Saeed, who is a Christian in Iran, has been freed. He's been in jail in Iran for three years. Now there's some kind of political thing going on, which is absolutely fabulous. But I remember praying for Saeed like two years ago after he'd been imprisoned, and now they set him free. So I want to um, just pray for him that the freedom would continue and last and that everything he's trying to get accomplished in Iran would be effective. Uh, I went to college with a kid from Iran, and that was pretty fun to hear the stories, he lived in Tehran when the Shah was overthrown and the Ayatollah Khomeini came in. He said he was, he was like 11. And uh, he said these U-Haul trucks or rider trucks would come screaming through and they'd stop in main intersections and throw the back open and start chucking automatic weapons out into the crowd so that there could be the revolution. And him and his friend got one. You know, when they're 11, and so they're playing with it, and uh, and then he said it was time for supper, so their mom, you know, his mom said, you know, it's time to come in for supper, and like, oh, darn, you know, so they took the, they took the thing and hid it under the bushes and went in for supper, you know, stuff like that. It's a little bit of a different reality than what we experience here, and so, uh, hallelujah, I can say anything I want. In, you know, it's, I'm safe. That's not the case everywhere on the planet today. And so I'm thankful for Pastor Saeed and his willingness to take his stand for Jesus and his willingness to uh, be imprisoned in Iran. And I'm thankful that he's been set free. So let's pray for him, his family, and the ministry there in Iran. So Heavenly Father, we just give you praise and we honor you. I thank you for people who are willing to step out and serve you when it means more than getting up on a cold morning, but when it means risking your life and risking your freedom and uh, uh, risking bodily harm. Lord, thank you for those who are willing to take that stand. So Father, we, we thank you for setting Saeed free. And Lord, we, we pray that he would get into safe hands without any problems. There'd be no issues with that. And Lord, that there would be a great testimony that he would talk about your faithfulness and your power to get us through difficult times. And I pray, Lord, for the nation of Iran that that they would come to know you, Lord, that more and more people there would see your glorious gospel of love and be drawn to it and serve you and honor you and that that nation would be changed. And so, Lord, use Pastor Saeed in that effort. We just give you praise, Lord, and we honor you and ask you to bless him and his family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen, amen. I think he's Assemblies of God, but I'm not sure. I have to check on that. But I I got a thing from the national office a couple years ago saying pray for him. So I think he's an AG guy. What an awesome dude. All right, we are continuing our series called This Little Light. I think we got one more week after this. We'll see if, how I feel about that, but we're in week six, and we've been talking about how do we as believers share Christ in an often hostile world. 
you know, we don't have the same things as far as getting thrown in prison and that sort of a deal, but we can get funny looks and people cannot like us and that sort of a deal. And, and that's a bummer, especially if it's people you care about and that you love. And, and there can be a hostile experiences that we, we have when we try to share Christ. So how do we let our light shine in a dark world? That's what we're talking about. And uh, we segued from Christmas time, Jesus, the light of the world. Jesus came to this earth He is the light that gives light to all men. And so our first step in sharing the light of Christ is we have to receive the light of Christ. If we don't have Jesus in our own hearts, if we don't have the faith that it takes to believe in God, to be growing in our faith, to know the peace, to know the love of God, if we don't have that in us, we certainly can't share that. So we need to receive that. And I've seen enough people in my life who call themselves Christians who have darkness on the inside of them instead of light to realize that we as the church need to have the light of Christ in us individually. And we need to have that light in us corporately. So we need to receive the light of Christ. Then we need to protect the light of Christ. Because as we walk through this life, when difficulties happen, when we're bombarded by the darkness and and sin and just the ick and evil and pain of this life, that faith within us, the light can start to go dim. And so we talked about defending ourselves and keeping the light. And we talked about the full armor of God. When we put on the full armor of God, we can protect the precious life within us that is from Christ. Then we talked about understanding what day it is, knowing what period in history we are in. We're not in the time of the law. We're not in the Garden of Eden. We are in the day of salvation. It's a tremendous time to be alive. The Bible says now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation, referring to this day. And this day will continue. The day of salvation continues until Jesus comes back and it's the day of judgment. So now is the time where any human being on the planet, no matter what they've done, no matter who they are, what their lineage is, what their nationality is, any human being on this planet right now can ask God for forgiveness of sins and to be brought into his family. They will be given the right to be a child of God, give, be given everlasting life, and God will walk with them through this life. This is a wonderful day to be alive. This is the time of God's favor, the day of salvation. I'm glad I live now. We talked about the dude that was collecting firewood on Saturday that got, the, the sentence was execution. You know, collecting wood on Saturday, executed. That was the day of the law. Hallelujah, now is the time of God's favor. Today is the day of salvation. If we're going to let our light shine, we need to know what day it is. And today is the day of salvation. If it was the day of the law, I would teach you how to follow the law. It isn't. Now is the time of God's favor. Hallelujah for that. We need to share the favor of God with the world. Then... We looked at something that Jesus was insulted by. He was called something that was an insult to him, meant to malign his character. They called Jesus a friend of sinners. And so we looked at how did Jesus treat people who made bad choices? You know, we don't use the word sin in our normal language. What we say is bad choices. And so how did Jesus treat people who made bad choices? Well, it's... It's very simple. Some things in the Bible are complicated. This thing is not. 
If Jesus saw somebody who was making bad choices, who was living out self-destructive behavior, who was causing problems, what Jesus did was he connected with them, talked to them, showed interest in them, and invited them into a new life, invited them to change, invited them to follow him. So that's what we should do. If we're going to do what Jesus did and we're going to let our light shine in the darkness, then we connect with people and we invite them to change. That's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus was a friend of sinners, but Jesus was not a friend of religious dysfunction. We talked about that last week. Jesus, he just laid into the religious folk in Matthew chapter 23. It's called the the woes. There's all these woes, you know, seven or eight woes, depending on which Bible version you read. And so there's all these woes and things that we're not supposed to do. So we can look at what Jesus did, learn what we are supposed to do, connect and invite, but um, here's a, a bunch of stuff we're not supposed to do, a bunch of religious dynamics, and a few of them, uh, I just want to cover a couple of them in our little recap here. Isn't recap time fun? I enjoy recap time. Uh, Matthew twenty three thirteen says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. This is a disaster situation. This is when the church does not have the light in themselves, and then someone who is seeking after God comes to church and finds nothing. That's a disaster. That's why we need the light of Christ within us. We need the presence of God in our worship time. We need to be connecting with God so that when somebody who thinks to themselves, well, I should go to church to find God, actually comes, then they find something. What a tragedy for someone to go to church trying to find God and find nothing. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. I need to enter, we need to enter into the presence of God, yield to the Spirit of God so that we can help others do the same. And then my favorite verse in Matthew chapter 23, verse 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. I love that one. And what that means is you're all super uptight about little things, but you miss the big stuff. You miss love one another. You miss justice. You miss grace. But you've got, you know, with the example in 23 was you, you, you make sure to tithe out of your garden. You know, you, you give a tenth of your dill. That's really great. You know, that's fantastic. You know, however, you've got to love people. You've got to have grace and mercy and faithfulness. You've got to have the big things and keep the small things. That's fine. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. I love those two. I've been thinking about both of those for two weeks. It's good stuff. Let's pray, and we'll get into the new material this morning, talking about good deeds. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your holy scriptures. I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't leave us here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit, and you guide us by your word. Lord, 
Help us to see what you've got for us right now. Each one of us is dealing with different things. We're in a different place in life, and we need a different touch from you. And I pray by your spirit you would touch each one of us where we're at with what we need. So, Lord, guide us and show us something good. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So let's take a a good close look at Matthew chapter 5, 14 through 16. We're going to focus on verse 16. But verse 14, we've hit a lot during this series. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, isn't Jesus the light of the world? He says to the crowd, you are the light of the world. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. So here's the idea. Jesus is the light. I receive the light. I have the light. And now I Share the light. We all receive the light of Christ and then we are the ones who are responsible to share the light of Christ. That's an incredible, incredible responsibility that we'll talk about more this morning. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So just leave that verse up there for a few minutes. What is Jesus talking about when he says that we are the light of the world? Specifically, what is that? Because that's figurative language. You know, it's not that we should all get some nice, you know, flashlights and shine on people, you know, hey, we're the light of the world, you know, that's not what he's talking about, I'm not real good with figurative language, I remember being an eighth grader in English class, and the English teacher said, well, some of these stories really stand for something else, you know, it's not really about what it's about, it's symbolic of something else, I'm like, no, they're not, like, well, who would, who, why wouldn't they just say what they're meaning to say? You know what I mean? So I'm not good with figurative language. I'm not good with that sort of a thing. We are the light of the world. What does that mean? What it means is that we are to do good deeds. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds. And praise your Father in heaven. So what Jesus is saying when he says, you are the light of the world, is do good deeds. You are a follower of Christ. You are a Christian. You are a believer. Then do good deeds. Jesus could have said other things in that passage. You know, he was free to say what he wanted. He didn't say, so that they will see your theology. Right? doesn't say that. That they may see your theology and praise your Father in heaven. It didn't say that they may see your particular worship style and gathering uh, bent. You know, what you do during your, you know, your order of service. Didn't say that. Didn't say your denominational stances on various things. That they may see your good deeds. They may see who you are. And the result would be praising our Father in heaven, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Let's look at three important things to understand when it's talking about deeds. 
when we're talking about works, when we're talking about things that we do, what are important things to understand with that? Important thing number one, it's okay to let people see your good deeds unless you're doing it in hypocrisy. It's okay to let people see your good deeds. Now, this one I had to work through because does that seem like the right idea? Do good deeds for everybody to see. That seems a little different than what Jesus said also in the Sermon on the Mount, also in the same day, the same sitting, to the same people. He said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says this, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So he says, do your good deeds in front of people so that people will love God, and don't do your good deeds in front of people or you've got your whole reward already. Well, what does that mean? Isn't it fun when there's like apparent contradictions in the Bible? It's my favorite thing because that's, you can sort it out. What happens is Christian people I've noticed are very insecure about the Bible and they're scared that it's wrong. And so when they see something they don't understand, they get all scared and run away. You know, that's the nice thing about science. Scientists don't look at an interesting result that doesn't make sense to them and go, oh no, science is false, and, and, you know, and run away and have a faith crisis with regards to science. Well, we as Christians shouldn't have a faith crisis when we read something in the Bible that we don't understand either. We should be like, oh, well, there's an answer. I just don't know what it is. Let's find out. So, Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men. Right after, he said, let your light shine, do your good deeds so that people can see them and praise your Father in heaven. What's he talking about? What's going on? There's obviously two different things happening here, and we need to know the difference between the two. Um, Last night I went really long, so I got to be careful. All right. There's some important dynamics to understand. We are to represent Christ in our lives. We are to do good things, help people out, and let that show God for who he is. Let's look at a couple of um, sections of Scripture from 1 Peter. The first one, please don't be offended, uh, I'm going to explain this better on February 14th, but we'll go through it fairly quickly here today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Peter is talking to women who are married to unbelievers and saying, here's what you need to do in order to help them find God. 1 Peter 3, we're going to read 1 and 2. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Let your light shine. Let your husband see the purity and reverence of your life. Don't nag him. Don't berate him. Don't, you know, don't be obnoxious. Well, if you, you know, that sort of stuff. Show him who God is by who you are. That's what this is saying. Now, on February 14th, so Sunday, Valentine's Day is on a Sunday. So 
Got to talk about marriage and, you know, those types of relationships and that sort of a thing at that time. We're going to talk about love and respect and what that all means. And the fact of the matter is, uh, there's been a very dramatically uh, ridiculous confusion with regards to what the rights of a husband are in a Christian marriage. And the husband is the spiritual head of the home, which means he will answer to God for what type of husband he was and what type of father he was. You know how it says in the Bible that leaders will give an account before God. I will give an account for Good Hope Church. How I manage things, what I put together. You know, I'll have to answer for the bylaws. God will sit me down and say, well, what about this? And I'll have to answer. And husbands will have to answer for how they treated their wives and how they raised their kids because they've been given that place, so they will have to answer. It's what the deal is. We'll talk about that again on the 14th. But you can see this is an example of letting your light shine and winning people over without even telling them anything, but just showing them by how you behave. 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12 is the same basic concept. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in this world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So this is talking about letting your light shine in a dark world, about being a person of character, being a person of strength, being a person that represents God with who they are and what they do. And people notice that. That's important. Now, the wrong perspective on this is when you're trying to get glory for yourself and manipulate people by doing your good deeds in front of others. We, uh, I went down to um, New Orleans about 10 weeks after Hurricane Katrina over Thanksgiving week. And we took a group of teenagers and it was fabulous. I had to get permission from parole officers and we, we had ourselves a ragtag bunch of high school kids that were strong as oxes and could do all kinds of work. And it was fantastic. And we went down there and we were mudding out houses and we mudded out a church. And on Thanksgiving Day, there was a meal outreach, hot Thanksgiving meals for the needy in New Orleans. And so we hooked up with this missions organization. We're going to deliver hot meals in New Orleans. And we are all excited about about it and we started going door to door knocking on the doors and walking through town offering the hot meals and stuff and we found out they they didn't really want us there they were pretty much i mean imagine on thanksgiving somebody knocks on your door and says wow you're a pathetic loser right you don't have any food do you you want some in this little styrofoam container you want some food they're like no we're pretty we're pretty much set and like and it was you know, they were a little bit offended that we were there, and it was super awkward, and we were inviting people to the place to get, come get their thing. Hardly anybody showed up except CNN. And they interviewed the main guy, and it was like, yeah, we're, we're helping out, you know, and all this stuff, and it was like, all of us that were involved in it were kind of like, it made our stomachs turn a little bit. It was like, this is just a show, to make that ministry look important. And they, they, they're getting airtime on CNN for doing a wonderful thing that on the ground was nothing. 
it was more awkward than it was a blessing. And that's the wrong thing. Trying to get praise for yourself by doing your acts of righteousness before men. So we can see the two dynamics. If I'm trying to manipulate you into liking me and wanting to do things for me by showing you all the wonderful things I'm doing, well, then I'm in the hypocrisy camp. If I'm trying to represent God through my character and let you see that so that you can understand who God is and draw you into praising God, worshiping God, honoring God, accepting Christ in your life, then that's the right thing. So those are the two dynamics. It's okay to let people see your good deeds, unless, of course, you're doing it in hypocrisy. That's important thing number one. Important thing number two when it comes to works and good deeds is that we are not saved by good works. We are saved to good works. Now, this is an idea, as a concept that has messed Christians up for centuries, but I think it's fairly simple. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, and understand what it means to be not saved by good works, but saved to good works. We're not saved by being born again into a new life. We're saved to being born again into a new life. So let's read this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So we are saved by grace. Faith is the catalyst. Faith accesses the grace of God. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So are we saved by works? No. The very next verse, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So this little section of Scripture very clearly states that we are saved by grace through faith to good works. We are saved to be someone who helps others. We are saved to be a good spouse, a good parent, a good co-worker, a good employee, a good boss. We are saved to that. Not by that. We are saved by the grace of God that we access through faith. Two good works. Simple? Excellent. People have argued about that for centuries. Just seems so clear to me. All right. Third thing we need to understand with regards to works is simply this. How believers behave affects How other people see God. How believers behave affects how other people see God. Would you agree with me on that one? That the greatest representation of God on this planet is the people who say they are aligned with God. How believers behave affects how other people see God. I, I like Charles Barkley. How many any Charles Barkley fans out there? You know, he used to be a fantastic basketball player. Now he's a, a commentator, and he's he's one of those guys whose brain works different than everybody else's. And I really like the way that he thinks, and it's fun to listen to him talk. and And Charles, way back in the day, used to say, "I'm not a role model." He, you know, because he was 
Now he's rich, he's famous, he came from an environment where he wasn't rich and famous, and he's like, I'm going to live it up, man. I mean, don't do like I do. I'm in a special situation, and I'm going to have a good time. So, you know, I am not a role model, was his statement. The fact of the matter was, though, a whole bunch of kids were looking at Charles Barkley as a hero and as a role model, and he didn't get to choose whether or not he was a role model. He just was. Every believer is an ambassador for Christ. You don't get to choose. You just are. You can be a bad ambassador for Christ, or you can be a good ambassador for Christ. Everyone who is a believer is an ambassador for Christ. How fast can I talk? Here's what we're going for. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. We're going to skip the one. We're going to skip the one that says, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. It's the one, it's a a reference to Ezekiel and Isaiah and basically talking about how God's name is profaned among the nations because of the behavior of the followers of God. We don't want to be that person. What we want to be is this. Now remember Peter. He was the one who said to Jesus, I will die with you. Jesus said, get some swords. Peter said, we've already got two. And Jesus said, that's enough. And, uh, and so Peter was ready to go when the bad guys came to get Jesus and they're going to try him and crucify him. Peter pulls the sword out and he whacks the dude in the head, cuts off his ear. He's like, Whoa. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. The swords were there so that you could get away, not so that you could be killing people. And so Peter wasn't quite sure what to do. He was scared out of his mind. He denies Jesus three times. He he runs in fear. And he weeps bitterly when he remembers what Jesus had said after he called down curses on himself to say that he didn't know Jesus. He was a scared, scared man. But something changed. Jesus rose from the dead. And they noticed, they they knew Jesus had conquered death. The Holy Spirit was unleashed on them. Peter spoke to the crowds and he spoke boldly. He spoke strongly. And then this is the response, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. They saw the courage of Peter and John, and they said, what's the deal with that? But we know they were with Jesus. They were with Jesus. Where did that courage come from? Where did that inner strength come from? They're like, these guys knew Jesus. That must have been from God. That's what we want to grab hold of. Be someone that people see some quality on the inside, some strength on the inside. And take note that we are followers of Jesus. Let's look at an example of a good deed that Jesus gives in Scripture. Now, there's special moment good deeds, you know, like throwing a nice birthday party for somebody. 
Um, there was the uh, fundraiser yesterday at the armory for Jesse Parpola. You know, those are the types of good deeds that are, you know, kind of one-shot good deeds. I prefer the uh, long-term good deed things like being a good parent, you know, being a good spouse, being a good employee, you know, those sorts. Of, I like the long-term good deed things, but there's the, the short-term ones as well, uh, helping out at the orphanage in Jamaica, things like that. Jesus gives an example of a good deed. And uh, we're, I'm going to invite the prayer team up. Where's our prayer team at? Come on up. It's going to take a little bit to read through this scripture, but um, this is essentially the closing part. It'll be about five minutes. Jesus gives an example of a good deed in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. You recognize it as the Good Samaritan. Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So, is this a guy who just wants to learn from Jesus? Now, he's testing Jesus. He's, he's one of those guys that already knows what's going on, but he wants to see what's going on with this guy and see if he can get him to align the right ways and thus give his approval to Jesus. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So far, so good. Watch this next verse. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Okay, I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, but I want to make sure that these people are not my neighbor and that these people are not my neighbor. Because I only want to love certain people. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, which would basically be like a worship leader, one of the musicians. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan. Now Samaritans were half-breeds. They were like part Jewish and part Gentile. They had a messed up theology and they were a constant reminder of the disobedience of Israel to be a holy nation, to be separated from the rest of the world because they were a mixed race and of mixed religion and God had judged the nation of Israel for not staying pure and the Samaritans were a living reminder of that disobedience so the Jews hated the Samaritans. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. The man said, who is my neighbor? And Jesus said, whoever needs your help doesn't matter who they are, where they're from, what they've done. Love your neighbor. We want to be the people who can have extra to help. This good Samaritan, he had a donkey, he could carry the guy on, he had some money to be able to pay for his stay at the inn, he had some extra time to spend with him, he had some extra love in his heart. And so he shared that. If we are going to let our light shine, we're letting the extra out into the world, the extra love, the extra strength, the extra resources, the extra peace, the extra time that we have. And we're sharing it. Those are good deeds. Maybe we all can relate to different people in this story. Maybe you relate more to the guy who got beat up and left on the side of the road for dead. If you relate more to that person than to anyone else in that story, let the Lord bind up your wounds and bring healing. He wants to bring you in. He wants to bring healing. He wants you to go to him and get your heart fixed. He's not going to judge you. He's not going to blame you. He's not going to reject you. He's going to love you like the Samaritan did the man on the side of the road. If that's you, let your wounds be healed. Let your light shine later. Today is the day to receive healing from God. So we're going to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your grace and mercy. Lord, I thank you that you bring us from death to life. You bring us from being part of the problem to being part of the solution. You save us into new life and into being a blessing. Lord, I, I pray for anyone in this place who feels more like that man that was robbed and beaten, who's been bombarded by this dark world. Lord, I pray that your hand of healing, your hand of peace, that your kindness would overflow on that person, on those people. Lord, that they may become strong over time and be able to share extra. So, Lord... We thank you. We give you praise. I pray a blessing over each person in this place. I pray, Lord, that your peace and love and strength, that your light would build within us and overflow into our world. In Jesus' name I pray.
Amen.